Hello. So just give me a second here to set myself up, which I'm not doing very well. Okay. Well, welcome today. I hope y'all are out there. Nobody has their videos on again, so I'm not sure what's happening out there in cyberland, but I'm assume, I'll assume that y'all are there. Hey, thank you for turning on your video. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> thank you. Umagyana timerandasya. Gyananjana shalakaya Chakshur unmilitam yena Tasmai shri gurave namaha Siddhantot palasara nicharasikam Amsam vilasatmikam Audaryakya sudam sevakadanam Vishramba bhakti pradam Yachna yuti vichakshanam dhagabido vaishishta shaktya sada vandeham tripari namakayatim shri bhakti vedantinam shri guru paramananda premananda palapada rajananda pradananda sevamayam niyojaya Namo Mahavadanyaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gortashe Namaha Hei Krishna Karuna Sindo Dina Bando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gorange Radhe Brindavaneshvari Prishabhanu Sutta Devi Pranami Hari Priye Bancha Kalpatarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubi Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Hi, Sri Vaishnavs. <clears throat> Thank you again for joining me here today. So we will continue with our talk about demons. So why we talk about demons? Well, quite simply, it's a very practical way to talk about Krishna Leela. In the last verse of the Chatushloki, which are the four essential verses of the Bhagavatam, it said, a person who is searching after the supreme absolute truth, the supreme personality of Godhead, must certainly search for it up to this in all circumstances, in all space and time, and both directly and indirectly. This is also echoed in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the Adi Lila, where it says, a person interested in transcendental knowledge must therefore always directly and indirectly 
inquire about it, to know the all-pervading truth. So that term all-pervading, I think, is the key as to why we study both indirectly and directly, because the Lord is all-pervading in both realms. So indirect refers to what is not, what is not bhakti. And this engages in the process of purification, leaving behind those unwanted things, anartas. And direct is what is bhakti. And that involves developing our taste. So on the one hand, we're going to leave behind negatives and we're going to develop positives. In the Sri Chaitanya Shikshamrita, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur explains, the highest knowledge is prema. Directly, it is obtained through the daily pastimes, the eightfold pastimes. And indirectly, it is obtained through the pastimes of killing the demons. Hearing the indirect pastimes, the devotees will be able to destroy the obstacles to tasting the ras. As a result, the material gunas will disappear and they will easily be able to attain to see and attain Goloka. So by discussing Krishna's defeating the demons, we will be um, better equipped to reflect on how these different demons get in the way of Krishna consciousness and how they personify what might be found within us and what we have to deal with um, to get rid of what we have to actually leave behind to make our journey successful. We have two great examples in our Sangha what this means practically to leave things behind. And that's a Krishangi and Kamalaksha Prabhu's. Like imagine their process as they're preparing for a kayak trip or a biking journey into uncharted territories. They have to be very, very careful to bring only the essentials any more then what's absolutely necessary is going to be a huge burden. And they'll spend more time and energy serving and maintaining their stuff than they do on the journey itself. So just as importantly as making sure you bring only the essentials, they also have to make sure that they bring everything that is essential um, otherwise, that will slow them down just as much as bringing too much, and they may even abandon the journey. They have to really discriminate between what is actually valuable and what will get in the way, what will facilitate them, and what will hold them back. So as sadhakas, we are faced with the same task. We are on a ginormous journey to the homeland of the heart. And I mean, that sounds so beautiful, the homeland of the heart. It's like going on vacation, like, oh, I'm going to Hawaii or something like that. And 
what shall I bring? You know, what shall I wear to lounge in on the airplane on my trip to Hawaii? But it's not exactly like that for ascetica. It's more of an emergency. Like, what do I need to survive? You know, the house is on fire. What do I really need to take with me on this journey? What do I need to survive? So sometimes we, we've heard stories from people who have survived um, natural disasters and who had to flee from a natural disaster. A lot of times they can't even remember how they got from their burning house to a safe space. They can't remember how they got from point A to point B. Sometimes they don't even remember their own name. It's like they had a out-of-body experience from leaving all of the things behind them that defined them. They actually were able to transcend their identity. So as we leave behind the things that do not define us as a servant of our guru, then we become free to be defined as such. Removing anarthas, the unwanted things, by identifying them in demons, because we all know it's easier to find fault in others than in ourselves. So we can find these faults in the demons and experience how absolutely negligible and minuscule these mountains of misconceptions are to Krishna. It builds confidence in the efficacy of bhakti. This is um, one quote here is, Chinora punched Krishna with his iron fist. When it touches Krishna's heart, Krishna's hairs stand on end in joy. Whatever it is, we should bring it to Krishna and there's nothing that he can't deal with. It is like darkness trying to maintain itself in the light. You think of a, a closed box, you know, like a box with a lid on it, and you take it into a bright room. You can take the lid off. Now, try to keep the darkness in the box. You, you, you can't do it. But where did, there, where did the darkness go? It was there. The darkness is a real thing. We've all seen darkness. But where does it go when you turn on the light? The darkness is totally obliterated without any effort on the part of the light. It, it doesn't have to do anything. It just has to be itself. It doesn't have to be smarter than darkness. It doesn't have to be stronger than darkness. Just by its own nature, it will defeat darkness. So by the nature of Bhakti herself, Maya will be dissipated. So we don't need to have any fear about facing these demons within our own heart. It's, they are nothing compared to what Krishna can do for us. So today, we're going to see this in action as Krishna is the king of the demons, King Kangsa. So when I was thinking about how to start talking about this, it was such a hard thing to, to find where to start because the Leela just keeps going back and back and 
back in time. It's kind of like when somebody asks you, you know, what are those beads around your neck? It's like, dang, where do I start? No, they're Tulsi and Tulsi is a, you know, Krishna and, you know, so talk, even just talking about where to find out where to start to give this class was very um, entangling. We see so, um, I saw so many connections between different incarnations and who's who and what's what. And it was such a rich tapestry that I just want to share some of those threads with you today because I found it quite um, remarkable. So before Kangsa appeared as Kangsa, he was known as Kalanemi, and he was the son of Haranyaksha. Haranyakashipu was Kalanemi's uncle. So Kalanemi, who later becomes Kangsa, he had six sons. These six sons were previously the sons of Marichi. See how it goes? Back in time, back, back, back. <laughs> so Marichi was born from the mind of Brahma. He is known as one of the Maruts. Maruts are simply a classification of demigods who are the demigods of storms. So while these six were the sons of Marichi, they laughed at Brahma, which is a very bad idea. They were cursed to take birth as the sons of a demon. And that's how they became the sons of Kalanemi. Over the eons, um, and most likely as a result of more curses and more boons and going back and forth, the six sons of Kalanemi took birth as the sons of Devaki. And as we know, each one of them was killed by Kongsa, who at one time was their father. Okay. Aye, aye, aye. But it's pretty awesome how it's all connected. So we'll talk a little more about the, the boys a little later. Um, there's still more of Kongsa's history that I want to share. Kalanemi, he fought with Vishnu during the churning of the milk ocean, and he was actually killed by Vishnu. And Shukracharya, who's the guru of the demons, he brought him back to life. And uh, upon coming back to life, he had maintained a desire to fight with Vishnu, and he performed great austerities, very similar to Hiranyakashipu, um, where it was just his life heirs were being maintained within, within his bones. And um, so he did that for a hundred celestial years until Brahma um, granted him the boon to not be killed by any or all of the demigods. So he then took birth through the womb of Ugrasena's wife, Padmavati, and was known as Kangsa. And as Kangsa, as a child, he would defeat strong wrestlers. One time, Jarasandha, remember Jarasandha from the Mahabharata, he eventually was killed by Bhima, but that'll be another story for another time. 
But Jarasunda was doing what kings do, setting about the land and conquering other kings in all directions. And he was quite successful. One time he came, he set up camp about a hundred miles from where Kongsa just happened to be um, training with other wrestlers. And Jarasunda's elephant, anybody guess his name? Kuvalayapida. He was as strong as a thousand other elephants. He broke his chains and ran through the mountains to where Kamsa was practicing wrestling. So just by seeing this monstrous, ginormous elephant, everybody split, they left. But there was Kongsa and he had no fear of this elephant. He just took him by the trunk and smashed him on the ground. Then he whirled him around and threw him back to Jarasandha's army, which was 80 miles away. <clears throat> so although Jarasandha had wanted to conquer all the kings, after seeing Kongsa's prowess, he decided that it would be best to join him rather than attack him. So he gave Kongsa the elephant, Kuvalayapida, and for good measure, he gave him his two daughters as well for his wives. He gave him horses and chariots and other elephants and servants and weapons. So now being fortified with all this paraphernalia, all these resources, Kongsus became very confident. So he proceeded by himself to take over another city. Mahismati was the name of the city. And like I said, he was going to conquer it by himself. So it seems like the demons spend an awful lot of time conquering cities and kingdoms. And that right there is a lesson in and of itself. But back to the king. He had five sons, two of whom we're familiar with, Chinora and Mushtika. So Kongsa challenged all five of these sons um, to a wrestling match. And the winner would, would take all. The winner, what that means is they would get all the possessions that the loser had would become the possessions of the winner, including the fighters themselves. So as you imagined, Kongsa defeated all of them. And since he was off, so let's see, so far he has Kuvalayapida, and now he has Chinora and Mushtika. And since he was off to a good start, he proceeded to travel and conquer whoever came in his path. He came and fought with Vavida. And as you might remember, he is the gorilla who later Balaram dealt with. Then he met Keshi and he defeated, Kongsa defeated both Dravida and Keshi and brought them under his control. Then he met Parshuram. Now Parshuram was not a demon, he was an incarnation and he had a real distaste for Chetrias, especially wicked ones who were puffed up with false strength, the pride of strength like Kongsa. 
So Parashuram showed him a bow that had been given to him by Lord Shiva. The bow originally was given by Vishnu to Lord Shiva and during the battle of Tripura. And Shiva's name for this is Tripurari. So it was at this battle of Tripurari that Vishnu gave Shiva the bow. And although Parshuram wanted to pulverize Kangsa, he told him that if he could string the bow, then he wouldn't kill him. And if he couldn't string the bow, then he was going to destroy his strength. So Kangsa easily strung it and he drew, it, drew the string back a hundred different times and released it. Each time releasing it was he was releasing thunderous, tumultuous sounds. When he was after that, he placed the bow back at Parashuram's side and said <laughs> something that I found to be incredibly peculiar. He said, I am not a Chatriya. I'm a demon and I am a servant or your servant, a servant of your servant. Please protect me. So that was kind of um, interesting. Of course, I, you, you can't help but think of, I'm not a Brahmana, I'm not a Chatriya, I'm not a Vaisha, I'm not a Shudra. So even the demons have, have this sentiment. So Parashuram was pleased with him and gave him the bow and informed him. He let him know that whoever is the person that breaks this bow, that will be the person to kill you. And this was the bow that Krishna broke before entering the wrestling arena in Matora. So in his further travels, Kangsa met Agasura, who tried to attack him. He, but Kamsa just jumped on his back and choked him into submission. Then he met the bull demon Arista and Pralamba and Danika and Trinavarta and Bakasura, who were all defeated by him and came under his control. Putana came, who is Bakasura's sister, came to fight with Kamsa, but Kamsa refused because he, he wouldn't fight a lady. He, he actually told Putana that Bakasura has become my brother, so you should be my sister. So one by one, all of these um, powerful kings and demons, they were all coming under Kongsa's control. Um, Vyomasura and Bonasura, who ended up fighting with Lord Shiva, and Vatsasura, all of them came under his rule. Then once they were all in one alliance, they didn't really have anybody else to fight with. So they all turned and fought with the demigods. And the descriptions of the battle between the demons and the demigods are literally out of this world. I, it, it was amazing to see how Krishna kills the demons so effortlessly. You know, we hear 
oh, he did this, he sucked out the life, he did this. It's, I never really had an appreciation as to how powerful these demons actually were. You know, I heard a gigantic bull that casts a shadow on Vrindavan, Mm -hmm. but it didn't really do anything to me until I heard the descriptions of this battle between the demons and the demigods. Um, Just by the sound of the demons, the demigods fell unconscious and there was hurling of mountains and monsoons of feathered arrows. And it kind of all gave me a bit more perspective what it, what it means when Krishna as a tiny baby kills these very, very powerful demons. What to speak of Kamsa, who was the king of the demons after having conquered every other, all of the little demons who were gigantic demons in and of themselves. So I want to um, read some of the details of this battle that was written in the Garga Samhita. So quickly rising and his eyes now red, Indra mounted his furious four-tusked elephant, Aravata, now provoked by the striking of the goad, trumpeting with its trunk, crushing its enemies under its moving feet, its rut flowing, unapproachable as a mountain of snow, jingling its chains, moving its trunk again and again, opulent with bells, decorated with a jewel saddle, and a network of tinkling ornaments, its face decorated with pictures and designs drawn in musk. And it made a charge at Kongsa. With a hard punch, Kongsa struck the great elephant. With a second punch, he struck Indra in the battleground. With that punch, Indra fell far away and the elephant was wounded and fell, its knees touching the ground. Again standing, the king of elephants attacked the demon king, Kongsa, with its tusks, picked him up with its trunk, and threw him 800,000 miles, or at least a very long way. His body, hard as a thunderbolt, when he fell, he was only a little upset. Angry and his lips trembling, he returned to the battleground. So Kamsa grabbed the elephant king, Aravata, threw him onto the battleground, strangled its trunk, and broke its tusks into pieces. Knocking over many great heroes, the elephant, Aravata, fled the battleground and went to the capital of the demigods. Taking the bow of Lord Vishnu and stringing it, With a flood of arrows accompanied by the twanging sound of the bow, the demon king, Kongsa, made the demigods flee. Seeing that the demons had fled, Kongsa took Indra's throne and parasol and returned with all the demons to his own capital, Matura. So how powerful does one have to be to defeat the most powerful 
people. Indra is no lightweight. Aravata literally is no lightweight. But when he was thrown so far away, eh, you know, brushed off the dust, got back on the saddle again. So it was just amazing to me. So now when we think of Krishna as a small boy killing these demons, you know, think of this and how powerful they were and what that actually means for him to be able to do that. Of course, in one sense, it doesn't mean anything because he is the supreme personality of Godhead and doesn't even compare to the others. But still, as a young boy, to be able to, to demonstrate this for the residents there in Brudge, what that must have meant to, to them. So after some time, um, Kangsa's sister, Devaki, was married to Vasudev. And the unembodied voice professed, as you are probably familiar with, Kangsa, you are such a fool. You are driving the chariot of your sister and your brother-in-law, but you don't know that the eighth child of this sister will kill you. And as we know the rest of the story, he imprisoned Devaki and Vasudev. And as each of their children were born, he proceeded to kill them up through the sixth child, the sixth son. So those six sons were the ones that we discussed previously. Symbolically, the six sons are known to represent the enemies of the mind. Now, why the enemies of the mind? If we remember, they were at one time born from Marici, who he himself was born from the mind of Brahma. And they laughed at Brahma and became his enemy, becoming an enemy of the mind. And they are known as desire, which is Kama, anger, Krodha, greed, Lobha, delusion, Moha, arrogance or pride, Madha, jealousy or envy, Matsarya. In the Bhagavad Gita, the 16th chapter, um, the demoniac qualities are described, and they're very similar um, to these. Pride, arrogance, conceit, anger, harshness, and ignorance. These qualities belong to those of the demoniac nature, which makes for bondage. So after the six sons were born, was born a girl. And even though a girl was not prophesized to kill Kangsa, he was on a roll. So, however, he, he was going to smash her to the ground as well. But before he could do that, she slipped out of his hands and hovered in the sky with ornaments and her carriers and weapons. And this you know, made him take pause. And she proceeded again to tell him, the person who is going to kill you has already been born. So Kangsa has a 
attention to lif- listen to voices in the sky. So he he believed what she had said. Early in the morning, Kongsa called together the great demons headed by Pralamba and told them what Yoga Maya had said. Kongsa said, Yoga Maya said that the person that will bring my end is already born on earth. Therefore, all of you, please kill all the infants, whether they are younger or older than 10 days. So this also happened in the Christianity history also with King Herod going and ordering all of the infants, I believe it was less than a year to be to be killed. So these demons, they plotted and they schemed and they thought, you know, the Brahmins and the devotees and the Vedas and demigods and the heads of the principles of religion, these are the limbs of Vishnu. So if we destroy these, then our power as demons will will be known. And if Lord Vishnu is indeed on earth, then this is a way to kill him. We can attack his cows and these other personalities, and this will surely defeat him. So sent by Kangsa, these powerful and sinful demons, they flew out of there. And they killed many newborn infants and cows and other pious beings. And all of these demons were sent by Kangsa. They were all under his reign, all under his control. For us Sadikas, he can represent the potential of our intelligence to oppress, to conquer over Krishna consciousness if it is not harnessed by appropriate spiritual practice and guidance. So by hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, in a way that our intelligence can be put to proper use, put in its proper place by guidance, by superior guidance, that is how we can defeat this Kongsa. Intelligence is, is inferior to the soul, but it is superior to the mind. Just like Kongsa is inferior to Krishna, but he was superior to all of those other demons. So if improperly guided it the intelligence can control those six qualities of the mind mentioned earlier kama krodha and make the mind our enemy if it then becomes the guide of the soul if the intelligence rules over the activities of the soul and not even just the mind, then the soul, like the demons and devotees under Kongsa's 
grip will be imprisoned and will be subservient to our lower natures. We'll become slaves to our intelligence and our intelligence is serving another master. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, he compared Kongsa to people who try to objectify bhakti and understand Krishna consciousness basically in a lab. They consider the experience and the commentaries of the devotees to be a kind of bias that distorts the truth. It's a deviation. We create a deviation from the facts and by, by entering into uh, the land of faith and belief and superstition, they, they feel by us that bhaktas bring these things into a, a nice clean lab where they could figure out the truth on their own. They think that the devotees are putting things into the leela that are not there, that our subjective experience is ruining their objective truths. So first we could argue if there's even such a thing as an objective truth. I personally don't think that there is, but if there were, who would, who would want it? Who wants the objective truth? It's sterile and lifeless. Without experience, what is there? Gumaraj uses the example of an apple. We can describe it. We can talk about it. But until we taste it, we're not going to know what an apple is. Knowing, real knowing, comes through experience. That's how we'll actually know. So the intelligence, it, it cannot taste. It doesn't have the ability to taste. It is very different from experience. The theories and supposed objective observations, they're only valuable if they support and facilitate a turning towards mm, a refined experience. That is a way to use, a proper way to use the, the intelligence. To point a way, um, to point to a way that makes people go beyond their objective observations to a super subjective experience, something that we actually can experience. And that is what sadhana bhakti is. It's joyfully performed. It's an experience. And as we apply our intelligence to the study of the Bhagavatam under good guidance, this is an incredibly important part of that by submissively hearing from our gurus and from the acharyas in our sampradaya, then super knowing can be experienced. By our intelligence alone, we cannot understand Krishna. It's 
just not possible. He exists outside the realm. So Srila Prabhupada tells a story of Dr. Frog. And some of you might not know it, but it's, it's a good illustration of what I'm trying to say here. Um, there were two frogs. They lived in a very small pond. One of them ended up hopping all the way to the ocean. And when he got there, it was enormous. He just had to go back and tell his other frog, who was known as Dr. Frog. So he went to tell Dr. Frog. And Dr. Frog said, well, how big was it? And he blew himself up just a little bit. Was it this big? And the other frog said, no, 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 no. It was much bigger than that. So with his limited intelligence, he's trying to capture how big the ocean was. So he blew himself up even more. Was it this big? No, 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 no. Much, 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 much bigger than that. So he blew himself up even more and he exploded. The intelligence cannot experience spiritual knowledge. We will, if we do that, if we try to just, you know, use the intelligence, we will just end up blowing ourselves up. So Kangsa, he was a great oppressor and he exploited everything at his disposal so that Krishna would never be born. And our intelligence will use everything at its disposal, the mind, the senses, to keep us in a small and ugly and supposedly self-interested pursuits until we engage it in service. And as we grow in bhakti, we'll realize that some of the desires that we have in our heart, they're not in our best interest. Krishna Leela is a meeting of the material and the spiritual worlds. And it gives us practical methods by which we can come to Krishna consciousness. First, by getting rid of those things that are not wanted. And we can't do it artificially. Um, we can't renounce willy-nilly. That idea too is a function of the, of the intelligence, of the faulty intelligence. So I'm gonna read a little bit now um, about the killing of Kamsa. This is found in the Gopal Champu. So I hope I can do so in a way that keeps you enthused. The two praiseworthy boys with broad chests entered the arena while holding the tusks, the tusks of Kuvalayapita, who they had just taken care of outside. They looked like two elephants with water lily stems in their trunks and gazed at Kangsa while denigrating him with words like, what is he anyway? <laughs> Turning their backs to him, they then looked around. Krishna came close and looked at him again. 
oh, he's following half the path to Swarga. It's not too unfortunate to send him there. Then they all burst out laughing. He played with his friends and exchanged news. So he was not very worried about what was going on. Colored red with the blood of the dead elephant, Krishna appeared like Shiva at the time of destruction of the universe. Seeing him, Kangsa's effulgence was destroyed. Who are those two? He asked. His attendants said, those are the two. Kangsa said, what's in their hands? Why are their bodies painted? They all said, those are the tusks of Kuvalayapita. They are covered with the elephant's blood. Kangsa said in pride and anger, ah, oh, sinful people. It is impossible that they can be the subject of words. When the attendants no longer answered, the effulgence of the two boys informed Kamsa. Oh, Kamsa, if you're so strong, that is a misfortune. Why did you put the elephant at the gate, not your body? If you think those tusks are the best, why did you not grab them? By their appearance, appearance they hinted this to Kamsa. He killed Putana and overturned the cart. He destroyed the wind demon and uprooted the Arjun trees. Describing Krishna's Braj pastimes, the people of Mathura saw Krishna before them. He melted the hearts of those and of those looking and the hearts of others who heard the words. See today what will happen. The women of Swarga became submerged in bliss by the simultaneous attempting to open their eyes wide to see complete forms of the two boys, to move their tongues to taste the full sweetness of this description, to widen their nostrils, to let their complete fragrance enter their hearts. Taking pride in the festival of attaining the boy's fragrance and to throw up their hands to embrace him. Music also sounded. He who is satisfied with praise was praised in this way. His special powers surpassed all conceptions continually. Hearing of Krishna's powers, Kangsa had first sent the wrestlers, but the wrestlers ended up praising him by using critical words. At that most crucial, cruel, at the most, sorry, at that time, most cruel Chinora spoke. He addressed the two son, the two as son of Nanda and Rama, without respect and without mentioning their father's name, Vasudev, in order to show disrespect to them. However, Sarasvati made his voice dance in order to praise Krishna. By mentioning the words Nanda, bliss, and Ram, enjoyment, he indicated that these two were equal to avatars by having complete bliss as their quality. Krishna said with a smile, order us as you please. Chinora said, good fortune should be situated in your minds. Krishna said, how? Chinora said, the king is present, desiring to be merciful, desiring to give you his merciful glance. Krishna said, true. Please instruct, instruct us what we must do. Chinora said, it is proper that you agree. If you are disinclined to fight, it'll make us unhappy. Krishna said, being forest people, we have not met persons of elevated conduct respected by the king's followers, but now we 
will follow your instruction and act according to the place. Chinora said, for now, do whatever the exalted king orders. Krishna said with feigned politeness, oh, best of wrestlers, please give the order. Chinora said, you should remain here and experience the happiness of playing with us. Krishna said, the king will take pleasure in seeing the playing of us children, but you will experience lamentation. Now you are laughing, but this is not proper for you who are persons endowed with the king's authority. Chinora said, I swear to the honorable king, this is the king's order. Krishna said, how is that? Chinora said, you were not babies when you killed Putana. You are not boys when you performed pastimes like lifting Govardhan. You are not a youth when you killed the elephant, which looked like the, an elephant of the directions. Since you are so strong, the king will take pleasure in seeing us fight with you. And you, your elder brother, showed superiority in killing Pralamba and others. Krishna said, they died because without cause, they showed hatred and sinful sinful conduct towards us. Indra's pride was cut down spontaneously so the sacrificial festival could take place. We're just coward boys. Danica was an old bull. He was infested with bugs. His skin was torn and trying to throw off various people riding him. He crumbled when we just touched him. First, the elephant came to kill me. I fled in fear. The elephant drove its tusks into the earth to strike me, and he could not move. When the elephant pulled this way and that way, the tusks broke off, and the elephant died. People, by looking, thought that I was the cause of its death. The, the mahouts, which means the people who take care of the elephants, they died by being crushed under its feet. Don't think otherwise. Chinora said, you're holding your sinful acts by hiding your sinful acts by trying to show humility. The king is not unhappy with these events. He has sent you to you persons having long lasting pride in order to curb their arrogance since they were use, useless for protecting him. He wants to exchange them for you two only for increasing his strength. So Kongsa wants to add Krishna and Balaram to his entourage. Krishna said, this is most astonishing luck for us. However, you embarrass us with praise. We will serve him by giving him the position of a king or destination of Indra's place, death. And we are a little reserved because we are not expert in the art of wrestling. Janora said, do not uselessly hide the truth. We have heard what is well known. The cowherds, intending their flocks, practice our art. You should follow our order and the king's order and not disobey. Krishna said, since we are forest people, we do not have knowledge of this great art. Following your order, we're ready to show the king. So after broadcasting this information, they drove the tusks firmly into the ground in front of Kongsa, as if driving stakes into his chest. Balaram, whose fist punched Pralumba, was matched with Mushtika, and Krishna, whose feet touched Garuda, 
was matched with Chinora. It was like a glorious frolicking lion freshly matched with a huge elephant possessed of great strength. Displaying anger, they wrestled hand to hand, arm to arm, foot to foot, knee to knee, hip to hip, fist to fist, and palm to palm. Imagine how many techniques Krishna and Chinora used. Stopping him with his hand, Krishna grabbed Chinora and blocked his hand. Balaram grabbed Mushtika. In choking the wrestlers, they choked Kongsa. Something astonishing happened. When Krishna pulled the wrestlers' limbs to his inconceivable limbs, the strong wrestler died. Though from a distance, it appeared that he hit the wrestler many times to kill him. When the two large wrestlers came to strike Krishna and Balaram, they missed them. The wrestlers at first could not recognize, could not recognize but later they understood Krishna and Balaram's strength. And in either case, they blamed Kongsa. The wrestlers first thought, these boys are very strong, but they don't know wrestling. Why did Kongsa not match us with someone who knows fighting? But later they thought, we can really understand that these two are most expert in wrestling. Frightened Kongsa has foolishly matched us with them. Others, along with the women, criticized Kongsa. Those wrestlers are strong as mountains and thunderbolts. The two boys are so soft. Curse the, Kong the king who permitted this fight. But why should they and we not be criticized in the assembly since we are seeing maltreatment of the righteous with curiosity. We have not done any pious acts, for after seeing Krishna for a few seconds with difficulty, calamity like a demon appears for those having affection for him. The women who experience happiness on seeing Krishna go to the forest in the morning and return in the evening have accrued profuse pious acts. We are cursed because out of fear of Kangsa, we cannot chant Krishna's name. We offer unlimited respects to the women of Braj who sing about his qualities constantly while doing household chores and who play in his heart at all times. This form is a result of what incomparable piety. The gopis drink this form the incomparable essence of beauty, eternally perfect, the only shelter of power and good qualities appearing ever fresh with their eyes. Who can describe the greatness of the gopis, Prem? Look, our hearts are following him, giving up our bodies. Govinda pulls everyone's heart near with his beauty, filled with fatigue from fighting. Balaram also does this. Running towards the angry enemy, Krishna remains extraordinarily peaceful with his smiling lotus face, perspiration and enthusiasm for fighting. Since Balaram's eyes and face are red from anger at the opponent, it appears to be his nature manifesting as Krishna's fiery brilliance. All the righteous, including Vasudev, Nanda, and Devaki, Speaking like me with blazing hearts, with intense gazes, are continually agitated by Kangsa. It seemed that he will soon die. Those who realized 
their great powers also criticized Kangsa. As a concealed hunter throws a dog to a lion, frightened Kangsa throws these wrestlers to Krishna. He who killed his troopers like Putana, who completely cut down Indra's pride, who inconceivably bewildered Brahma, has promised to defeat Kangsa. What is the comparison of self-manifesting Krishna with ignorant wrestlers? Look at the amazing battle between light and darkness. Though Krishna and the wrestlers grapple each other, they do not touch because of Krishna's special powers, just as light and darkness do not mix. In Krishna's heroic body, there is not a trace of arrogance, panic, or injury. See, his excellent prowess is like poison in front of Chinora and crushes the bits, his vital organs. Look before you, as fire consumes grass, as a thunderbolt splits a mountain, as Augustia swallowed the ocean, as moonlight destroys darkness, as Vishnu's name destroys all sin, Krishna is victorious in the arena over the wrestler with ugly, huge, tough limbs. Seeing the amazing scene of Krishna fighting, afflicting Chanura, he pierces the heart of Kangsa. The fool punches Krishna with his iron fist. When it touches Krishna's heart, Krishna's hairs stand on end in joy. Thus, with lamentation and criticism, people watched. Laughing once, Krishna grabbed him, twirled him in the air, and on seeing him said, unfortunately, you are dead. While Kangsa watched, he threw the wrestler on the ground with disrespect. When Mushtika threw his punches, Balaram was happy. Receiving a strike from Balaram's palm, he died. In front, with his limbs quivering in pain, his distracted eyes trembling in terror, frightening to see, crushed by time in the form of Balaram and Krishna, indicating the path of Kangsa. Chinora and Mushtika passed to another world, causing astonishment to all eyes. When Krishna and Balaram playing with the wrestlers threw the two on, on the ground carelessly, not showing knowledge of skill. Kuta, who's one of the brothers, immediately came with Shala and Toshala, but Krishna and Balaram danced, splitting them open by striking them with their left feet and left hands. Krishna and Balaram wanted to fight with all the assembled troops in the back and all the other wrestlers. When these wrestlers were killed, the other wrestlers fled, making Krishna and Balaram and others crack up. No, it says laugh. Just as you sent your troops to kill me, I sent them to the other world. When you sent the elephant to the gate, I sent him to the other world. And then today I have sent off the wrestlers. Now I will play with my friends on this comfortable road. In this way, Krishna instructed Kangsa in the assembly and played. When they were playing with their friends, their friends defeated the two brothers. Seeing this defeat by their friends, Kangsa was really troubled in his heart. The two caused astonishment and mock fighting with their friends as a praiseworthy four Varnas watched. The two who were respected equally gave respect to their friends of the same age. They appeared glorious with the joy caused by the faultless heavenly and earthly music. They kept the beat while wrestling as the main dancers in a divine performance. They mounted the heavenly airplanes in a joyous festival. Their prestige increased 
the shower of flowers. For half an hour, they made everyone fix their minds on one object. Everyone was attached to Krishna, but Kangsa, unable to tolerate him, showed his pride, noting that wealth and power were actually the same and that he should soon order that all the cowherd's wealth should be seized. He waved his hand several times to stop the music. When the heavenly music, though faultless, was stopped, Krishna, with brilliant moves, began jumping attractively on his friends, with his friends. <laughs> Hearing the harsh words of Kangsa directed to Nanda, Vasudev, and Ugrasen, and aiming to remove the faults from Kangsa's words and his stopping the music, the independent enemy of Kangsa, Krishna, ran quickly with a laugh jumped on Kangsa's stage and glanced about. Krishna's intolerable bodily effulgence fought with Kangsa and Kangsa was destroyed. Defeated, his mind became deflated. He lost all composure and grasping his sword and shield began pacing about. Unconquerable Krishna walking joyfully grabbed Kangsa's hair as if it was a natural action. Kangsa could not understand what happened just as a rabbit cannot understand how it was caught by a hawk. <clears throat> I'm going to skip just a little bit here. Grabbing him, he pulled him from dais and released half of his life heirs. Impassioned by the desire to fight, Krishna did not realize how swiftly he could kill him. Krishna pulled Kansa's hair and held his life heirs in his fist. But that is not astonishing. Remember how Krishna, as a baby, pulled out the life heirs in drinking from Putana's breast. Kangsa's sword and shield fell, and his jeweled armor fell off. His hair was scruffy, and his crown was in disarray. The fool on whom Krishna placed his feet fell from the dais in front of everyone. Previously, Kangsa was known to have stopped blinking his eyes out of fear. So the fearful people, however, they could not say, Krishna has killed him. To make his death known, Krishna, like a lion, dragged his body around the arena nonchalantly, like the best of lions mark making marks on the ground. So thank you for sticking with me through that. When this powerful and dangerous demon of the misguided intelligence shows its ugly face in the mirror of our own heart. What's our mantra? Do you remember from last week? Krishna, Krishna, save me from this terrible demon. Okay, now we had done a test earlier, my husband and I, with the audio, and it appears I don't, I can't hear anybody speak. So if you have anything, corrections to make, or anything else to share, if you could do that in the chat, I would be grateful, unless you want to try the audio, and I can see if I can get it to work. Does anybody have anything? Okay, 
it doesn't seem like it. So thank you all very much. And thank you for hanging in there with me. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And I'll see you next week. Thank you. Panchaka patru piascha kripasindubi evacha patitanam pavanebio vaishnavebio namu namaha. Srimati Bhakti Rasa Devi Ki Jai.